Well, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1. And since it's the holiday, we always have a few folks who are here visiting with uh, family. And so welcome especially to you all. And I want to say to you all that are here for the first time, today is an unusual sermon because at the end of one year, beginning of the next year, I always have at least one message that closes out the year and tries to prepare us for the coming year. That's what we're doing here today. So it's kind of a, a family chat in some ways. We'll be looking at Colossians 1.28 in a bit. And then next week we'll start a series in the book of Proverbs. Just about 11 months ago, our pastors and wives went on an overnight retreat in order to lay out some specific plans for 2020 and beyond. We had a great time together discussing ministry and all of us came away excited about what we were going to be doing in both the short and the long terms. But just a few weeks later, events would move things in an unanticipated direction, just proving once again what the Word of God says. In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. I did a video series at the first quarter of this year called When Trouble Comes, and taught in that series, among other things, that Trials today are preparation for ministry tomorrow. So the Lord has us, friends, where he wants us, poised for ministry in the coming year. In fact, to prepare for the beginning of each new year, we always take at least one Sunday, and sometimes more, to ready ourselves for ministry as the calendar turns over. And in order to ensure that our church is directed by the gospel, as we'll see in Colossians 1, then on this final Lord's Day of the year, we're going to take time to be reminded of what we're called to do and to point forward to what we hope to accomplish in the year and years ahead. But as always, we'll hold these plans with an open hand because we understand that our, our sovereign and good God has the right to change those plans as he wills. So let's bow for a moment and ask the Lord to help us then as we look at his word. Father, we thank you for gathering us, bringing us together in person, by live stream, over the radio, with your word before us. And Lord, we want to be instructed therein. We want to apply what we have learned in the ministry in this coming year. So Lord, grant us the willingness to listen, the openness to change, all of us, myself included, as we go into this new year to serve you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, I encourage you to look at the outline that those of you that are here in person received at the main doors to the auditorium. For those that are watching on live stream, you can click the outline button that's beneath or next to your media player. And first of all, in that outline, I say let's remember what we're about. Because churches can be about a lot of things. And sometimes those are good things, but they're nevertheless not necessarily the main thing. So a church can be about social good, social justice, and the like. Now, helping people in need and being known for good works indeed adorns the gospel, and so it's definitely a good thing. But history has taught us that social concern can morph into the social gospel, and over time it can become more social than gospel, and that's become the case with many churches over many decades. Or a church can be focused on programs and bigger and better programs to simply attract more and more people. And it can become a matter of just keeping the trains running 
and becomes an end in itself. Or the church is about promoting a personality, promoting the, the preacher and creating a following for a person. Sometimes churches become distracted by things that are less important than the gospel. Now this category of things that are less important than the gospel could literally include anything since all things are secondary to the gospel, but I'll give you a few examples. A pet doctrinal issue for which the church becomes known, like saying that a particular version of the Bible is the only valid translation. There are many churches like that. Or perhaps some legalistic rules that the church becomes known for, like women cannot wear pants or nobody can wear shorts. I, when I was a young adult, I was actually in a church like, like that. Or things designed to achieve the good goal of protecting and promoting families can take on a life of their own, like it becomes a courtship-only church or a family-integrated-only church and, and other things. Now, if you don't know what those are, then don't be, don't be concerned about it. So if we're not about those kinds of things, then what are we about? I say in the outline we are to be about the gospel. And that's why I've asked you to turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 28 is the theme verse for our, our church. In fact, we have it on a plaque right here in our, our auditorium. But it says this, verse 28, He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Now when it says he is the one we proclaim, it's of course referring to Christ. The end of the verse just before, the end of verse 27 says, Christ in you, the hope of glory, and then verse 28 says, he, Christ, is the one we proclaim. And that proclamation about Christ is nothing other than the gospel message. Chapter 1 mentions the gospel several times. If you go back to verse 4 in chapter 1. Verse 4, we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. And then down in verse 14, it describes what happens in this gospel. In, in whom, in Christ, we have received redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And then verse 20, through him God is reconciling to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And then verse 23, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you, you heard. So chapter 1 introduces this theme of the gospel and then verse 28 says it is him it is christ central to that gospel message that we proclaim admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so i remind you of what the gospel is i've given you this definition a number of times over the year but it is the gospel of salvation by grace is the foundation and the formation and the stimulation for any healthy church it is the glorious message that god's grace has overcome our sin through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of His Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, every year we remind ourselves of, and we make available to our church, our, our church's 10-year plan. And I'm going to remind you of that uh, and make it available for us to send to everyone this week to remind you of the contents of it. But the overall objective of our current 10-year plan is to do this, to become a highly effective 
disciple-making church. And we're going to see that's centered on the gospel. It means that we're going to actively and relentlessly seek to fulfill the mandate of this theme verse for our church, Colossians 1.28. In order to see what we need to do at CBC to advance this cause, let's take a few minutes to break down the activities that that verse, verse 28, describes for us. Since we're about the gospel, then of course it means, I say in the outline, that we're about evangelism. And you see that in verse 28, because the word that's translated proclaim, it's not the common Greek word for preach. And so one commentary says this, it perhaps has a wider significance than the more common word for preach in Paul's writings. Paul wrote Colossians. So this is communication of the gospel, both in formal settings like this one, but also in informal settings from one person to another, simply proclaiming the truth about Christ to another person or persons. And the word that's translated admonishing in verse 28 is the Greek word nutheteo. And it's a concept which can broadly be defined this way, loving confrontation with the truth for the purpose of change. Admonishing someone is lovingly confronting them with the truth for the purpose of seeing change. It's translated in your New Testament variously. Here it's admonishing. Other places it's instruct or counsel or warn. In this context, it has the emphasis of lovingly confronting unbelievers, or as I often like to say, pre-believers, confronting them with the gospel for the purpose of change, radical change, that is, conversion. And so the Expositor's Bible Commentary says, here this relates to non-Christians. The thought probably being that we seek to awaken each of them to their need for Christ. And our church seeks then to do that, to carry out that mandate by equipping and encouraging and engaging in evangelism in a number of ways. One of those is through classes to help each of us engage in giving the gospel. One year ago, we devoted a full semester of 12 classes in our midweek Community Institute for a course called Relational Evangelism, Sharing the Gospel, Making Disciples. You can listen to that, like all of our sermons and lessons at our, our website. One of the foundational classes that our church offers that we encourage everyone to take, Master Plan for Life, has a section on personal evangelism. Pastor Larry and I, just a month ago, devoted one of our podcasts to answering the question, why are we so hesitant to give the gospel? And we offered ways to overcome our fear. And then when we get back to normal, as we are going to see later in the message today, Lord willing is going to come in the months ahead in 2021. And, and when that happens, our normal schedule has a second hour associated with it. Over these last many months, instead of starting as we normally do at 9.30 with our worship service, and then at 11.15, we have the second hour that I'll describe called Discovering God. But we've been starting at 10 o'clock. And I was just talking with someone before the service today. You know, that may turn out to be a mistake. Because <laughs> getting everybody back now at 9.30, we'll see how that goes. Someone was saying, man, people are going to be coming wandering in late. And I said, and that's going to be different <laughs> than, it's, than it's normally been. So we'll revert back to our normal schedule at some point, sooner the better, 9.30 worship. And then we have the second hour 
During Sunday school for children in the auditorium here, I lead something called Discovering God for Adults, and we present topics from the Bible that are designed to address questions that pre-believers ask, like things like, uh, what about creation versus evolution, or what's the difference between world religions, or what's the difference between different denominations, where did the Bible come from? What does the Bible teach about issues like abortion and capital punishment and racism and divorce and many others? So you as a member of our church have something virtually every week then to which you can invite an unbelieving friend. So as you seek to witness to folks in your personal life, we're partnering with you in that endeavor. In addition to all of that, we ask the leaders of our in-reach ministries that is, ministries that are designed primarily for the congregation in reach to parlay those into outreach events, at least on occasion. And so, for example, our women's ministries primarily devoted to ladies in our church. That's in reach. But they do things like the Ladies' Christmas Fellowship, and we're always blessed to have many pre-believers in attendance. And even events that we do that are not direct opportunities for the gospel, they find their primary worth in creating contacts for the gospel. So our children's Easter egg hunt it doesn't include a direct gospel presentation, but it does allow us to make contacts with folks who we hope will participate in our other ministries and indeed grant opportunity to give the gospel. So we're about the gospel, which requires evangelism. But also, I say, we're about edification. Verse 28 says we engage in admonishing pre-believers, but also it says teaching, which refers to instruction to believers in the way of the Lord, building them up in the faith by the word of God. And such teaching, it says in verse 28, is to be done, quote, with all wisdom. That is, since wisdom is the application of knowledge, then our teaching will always apply what we know about the individual and his or her needs to the teaching task. That's how we're to, to go about it. So whether it's formal or informal proclamation, we're trying to apply the word of God to the life of those, those who hear. People have in common, they have common needs that we all have, but also particular spiritual needs, depending on where they are in their lives and their circumstances. Now both this admonishing to pre-believers and teaching to believers is going to be done, verse 28 says, to everyone that God brings into our sphere of influence. The word everyone appears two times in verse 28 in your English translation. It actually shows up three times in Greek. Instead of it being admonishing and teaching everyone, in Greek it actually says admonishing everyone and teaching everyone so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ emphasis on everyone. There is no one who is to be left out of our evangelistic and edification efforts. Now notice, we're giving the word gospel here. Let me just stop for a moment. That was not a person, that was an instrument. All right, good. I didn't hear any yelling, crying, or any of that. Those of you watching on live stream, we had a little, little noise in the congregation. Now notice, we're giving the word gospel 
a, a broader definition than most of us are accustomed to because we're saying the gospel is, includes edifying people who already have come to Christ. That's a broader definition than most of us are accustomed to. We most often think of the gospel as confined to the basic facts about Christ and his life, death, and resurrection that we believe when we first become a Christian. But those truths, which are indeed foundational, and they, they, they also give rise to much more in the life of the one who embraces them. For example, the book of Romans is one long, detailed, 16-chapter treatise on what the gospel is. Now, it certainly deals with these foundational aspects from the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. We saw that two weeks ago from Romans chapter 3. But interestingly, it's a book written not to unbelievers, but believers. Chapter 1 of Romans says this, that it's written to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. And Paul says, I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. I'm writing to Christians and I'm eager to preach the gospel to you. Huh. Preach the gospel to people who are already Christians? Well, yeah, because it includes not only initial salvation, but also the spiritual growth that follows what we call sanctification. And that's why whole chapters in Romans are devoted to our life in Christ after we first become Christians. And therefore, our church, if we're going to be true to Colossians 1.28 and say it's our theme verse, then we are going to have to offer ways for people to, to grow. And we indeed offer a process for growth for the entirety of one's life that's both foundational, but then after that is built upon. It's ongoing, and it's instructional, and it's relational, and it's active. We offer ministries to instruct with foundational teaching to build your life upon then do that in an ongoing way but we also have relational ministries so that you're built up in in your relationships with brothers and sisters through things like growth partners and community groups and then it's active growth because we encourage everyone and offer everyone an opportunity to use the gifts that god has given them in service that's embodied on the chart that many of you have seen. I remind you of it quickly, our spiritual growth chart. I don't know if you can read that very well, but it has right in the middle highlighted there with yellow the two foundational classes that we offer, and we just offer them on a rotating basis. I just finished uh, How to Get the Most Out of Your Bible in the fall. We will start the second of those classes, Master Plan for Life. That is a one-year course or two-semester course. Then <clears throat> the fall after that, back to how to get the most out of your Bible, and we just keep doing that so that people come into our church, everybody, Lord willing, takes our foundational classes. But then we, we build upon that with the kinds of electives that you heard Pastor Larry uh, advertising, 2 Corinthians and the doctrine of the church, so to, to help people learn God's word in an ongoing way. But it's not just information. Notice this now. Notice the way that chart is put together. There's an arrow that goes out to the right meaning that all that instruction is to express itself in love for God and love for others. Otherwise, we just become spiritual sponges who just learn a bunch of stuff. But we learn stuff for the purpose of serving God and serving, serving others, and then we offer ministries to do that and to help you get plugged in to service. Now, we explain that chart in more detail in our newcomer's orientation, so those of you that might be seeing it for the first time, this coming year, we all get back to normal, we will have our next newcomer's course, so stay tuned and we'll let you know when the next one of those is, is going to be. 
Now, with all of that, in all of the years now that I've pastored this church, 19 at this point, I've had one couple, one, say to me that they are not growing at our church. Now, I'm not saying that everybody in our church is growing, but I know that everyone or almost everyone knows that they can here if they take advantage of what we offer for that purpose. The one couple that I mentioned did not participate in the courses that I mentioned, I assume, because they thought they, they didn't need them. If you want to grow in the Lord and you take advantage of what we offer to help you do that, you will mature in Christ here. We're about the gospel. And at the end of one year and the beginning of another, it's a good time to review also, I say in the outline, where we've been. So what are we about? And now where have we been? Where have we been? Well, where have we been? Wow. <laughs> 2020. Yikes. <laughs> what a year. After taking five full Sundays at the start of 2020 to move us into significant ministry and then having that pastors and wives retreat that I mentioned earlier, though we've not been this past year where any of us thought we would be, again, I want to remind myself and I remind you, friends, after doing all that to prepare for ministry in 2020, it didn't go the way any of us <laughs> could predict, but we are exactly where God wanted us to be. And God does not adjust His plan according to ours, we adjust our plans according to His. And that's exactly what we had to do. I recall in early March saying to Pastor Larry that this virus thing could become a really, really big deal. <laughs> By mid-March, the entire country was shutting down, including church gatherings. Now at first, if you can remember, it seems like an eternity now, but if you can just think back to that time, how you were thinking, many thought that this was just going to be like an extended snow vacation from school. Within a week, people were talking about how they were going to cartwheel down the aisle when church resumes clearly expecting that things are going to get back to normal in just a matter of days and weeks. Easter last year was on April the 12th. Only two weeks into the shutdown, our president said, quote, we're opening up this incredible country because we have to do that. I would love to have it open by Easter. He went on to say, you'll have packed churches all over our country. I think it'll be a beautiful time. I don't think there was a church in Michigan, maybe in the entire country who met on April the 12th for Easter. Expectations needed to be adjusted radically because this virus was here to stay until a solution was forthcoming, probably in the form of a vaccine. And another thing that became clear <laughs> early on was that everybody had an opinion. And some were quickly of the mindset that everyone is entitled to my opinion. And so they went public with it on social media. Throughout this year, I have met with fellow pastors, mostly virtually, sometimes in person. And for many, it's been a war zone for them. Over masks and when and whether to regather and under what circumstances. We, thank God, we saw that on the horizon pretty early on. And we established the principles way back in March that would guide our approach to this. In order to, to make clear that we simply cannot get through this without a central source of information, we said in our first church-wide note on March the 11th, 
quote, any announcements we make will be based on the most current information from neutral sources with medical expertise, such as the Centers for Disease Control, National Institutes of Health, World Health Organization, etc. Now, it didn't mean, and it doesn't mean, that those organizations are always right. It does mean this, that they'll be more right more often than me or you or the latest thing any of us read on the internet and are tempted to post and forward. Most important, it established a central consistent baseline that would help guide us. Otherwise, our decisions could be at the mercy of the chaos of the information superhighway. Another principle that we established early on is that based upon the Bible's teaching about submission to government, we said we would seek to cooperate to the greatest extent possible. And related to that was our desire to be partners with our community as we endure this with them together, demonstrating love for neighbor and present, representing the Lord well and maintaining gospel credibility. But our ability to cooperate with the government and to partner with our community had to be subordinated ultimately to the well-being of our people. And so although anyone could attend in person after the early weeks of the nationwide shutdown, and some of you did, we opened up to a, a greater degree several months ago, and we have been having about a third, maybe a little bit less, of our congregation coming on site, everybody else listening on FM radio or by live stream. Now what I've just reviewed and that we've articulated throughout this year are principles and then our very best attempts to consistently apply those principles. Now, this is important, friends. The Bible provides the principles, like love for neighbor and submission to government and even deference to those who know more about a subject than you or I do. The Bible provides those principles. You know, deferring to those who know more about, I mean, believe it or not, there are people that know more about stuff than we do. And so Proverbs says this, Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. But it's God's Word that provides these principles. Submission to government, love for neighbor, deference to those who know more than we do. But the applications of those principles require fallible human wisdom. And we have to agree on the principles because those are God's Word. We don't have to agree on the applications. But we can and should defer when those making the applications, in this case our church's leadership team, are doing so for the sake of the gospel, the very thing that we're about, and the credibility that's needed to be effective with that. The pandemic, and this is a pandemic, has so far taken 330,000 souls and counting. By the time this has been tamed, there will be no fewer than half a million dead, likely more than that. Unfortunately, some in our culture at, at large have sought to politicize the virus and how to deal with it, and they've done so in what's already a highly political and polarized time because it happens that 2020 was a presidential election, and we also had riots and uprisings over racial tensions in the summer. So, where have we been? We've been through a weird year, to put it mildly. And where does that leave us? 
At the end of this turbulent year, we want to review where we've been and then, I say in the outline, evaluate where we are. As you know, each year the president is required by the Constitution to report to Congress on how the country's doing. The president is periodically quoting from the Constitution now to give to the Congress information of the State of the Union and recommend to their consideration such measures as he shall judge necessary and expedient. Now this is usually done in a speech before a joint session of Congress and since the time of President Ronald Reagan it includes the line, quote, the State of the Union is strong. Well in that same tradition, in a different but frankly more important realm, I'm deeply grateful and humbled to be able to say that that's true of our church. The state of our church is strong. Despite the very real potential for disunity coming out of a year like this, from all that I can tell, 98% of our membership has been a source of joy in the hearts of the leadership. You always have the 2%. And in most churches I know of, it's much higher than that, which is why the Bible warns us. But you have exemplified the positive aspects found in this famous warning. The writer of Hebrews said this, have confidence in your leaders. Submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. And you have done that from everything I can tell. Now, we don't have the, the measure of visible attendance right now, so it's theoretically possible we have some who have quietly dropped off, but in our shepherding calls to our congregation, that has not come up. As I mentioned at our family meeting two weeks ago, we have a few who are relocating, one who has gone to fill a need at another church with his gifts, and there will surely be perhaps a handful who are not with us when we return to normal. Maybe it's a bit more than a handful, and, and I just don't know. But even so, without commenting on any few who may choose to discontinue with us, the truth is, friends, that if we're not able to get on the same page, then parting is not always a bad thing. And I just don't see bad things for our church right now. In fact, any small losses in terms of of numbers may well be offset by people we've actually gained, believe it or not, <laughs> during this pandemic. And the fact that we have one-third, maybe less, of our congregation attending in person right now is, I think, believe it or not, a positive thing that positions us well for the next few intense months. Of course, I want to see everyone back as soon as is wise, but there are good reasons that many have not yet returned due in part to the cautious approach that we've communicated over nearly nine months now. You see, we're in the throes right now and will be for the next few months of the worst of it in terms of hospitalizations and deaths. The spread has increased. It's hard to imagine how much it would be spread and how many deaths there would be had mitigation efforts not have been taken as they have. And while I, I certainly don't claim we've navigated this perfectly, I think we've come close to the balance that we sought to achieve, namely, 
to provide for the spiritual well-being of our congregation by allowing all of those who choose to attend to do so and at the same time give freedom for others to wait until the danger has subsided. I'm delighted to see the brothers and sisters who do indeed attend each week. And I so look forward to all of us together in a matter of months. But if we had pushed for people to, to come, and we had very large numbers attending now as we go into what's expected to be a very challenging time, it would create problems that we don't have to face like some others do and are. Based on the widespread cooperation that we've received, based on the absence of any known large-scale disunity, I say the state of our church is strong. And I say that also based on a measure that we still do have available, and that is our church's faithful giving throughout this whole thing. As most of you know, it's our church's policy that the pastors do not see individual giving. None of us knows who gives what other than our own giving. But for the last couple of years, I've asked the finance team to provide numbers at the end of the year so that I can share those with you. Now, the first time I did that a few years ago, there was an audible gasp in the congregation. Some of you will remember that. Because we had a very high percentage of people, again, I, I know no names, only numbers, but we had a very high percentage of people who were not participating in giving at all. Some of you will remember that. Of the 200 households in our congregation, now that's 200 households, not individuals. We have about 400 people, individuals. But here's a breakdown for you of the 200 households. Of those, in this past year, 1.5%, that's three households, gave over $20,000. 4% of our congregation, that's eight households, gave between 10 and 20,000. 14%, 28 households, gave between 5 and 10,000. 36% of our congregation, that is 72 households, gave between 1,000 and $5,000. Now, so far, that's accounted for 55% of the households in our church giving over $1,000 this year, and many giving much more than that. Now, biblically, the amount is not what's important. It's the faithfulness with what you have. Those who have more are to be faithful in giving more, and we obviously have many who are doing that. Where we've seen the most improvement is from those who last year were giving less than $1,000 per household. That was just under half of our congregation. 48% of our congregation in 2019 fit into that under $1,000 category. That's been reduced to 23%, cut in more than half in this year. 48% down to 23%, which means a good number of people have stepped up. In 2019, we also had a sizable number who gave less than $100, 31% at that time. This year, that's down to 6%, 31 to 6 and also in 2019, we had a whopping 29% who gave nothing. 29 down to 15. Now here's the great news with all of that then. Every category has moved up. And I attribute that to a couple of things. One, we held a Financial Peace University seminar in 2019 that helped many of our people adjust their finances so indeed they could participate. And secondly, are simply having done this over the last couple of years, just simply said, here's where we are, here's 
the numbers. I think that was startling to a number of people, making them aware in ways that we had never done in the past. So every category has moved up, but the really good news is we still have plenty of room for growth. Even though we've moved down to 15% giving nothing, we obviously should have zero who are giving zero. And while our average giving has gone up, in 2019 the average giving per household was $2,800. It's gone up to $3,500 average, from $2,800 to $3,500. The mean also went up. It was $1,429 in 2019. It's now $1,682 this year. It means that half of our households, that's what the mean is, Half of our households gave $1,680 or more, and half gave $1,680 or, or less. Now that gives us room for improvement. Because if you use the 10% tithe that many of us do for our giving, $1,680 represents total household income of just under $17,000, and we know that's not true for half of our congregation. And so there's still room to move up in this matter, and I encourage everyone, as I did last year, set a goal. That's more than it was the previous year, and perhaps target that 10% figure if you, even if you never get to it. And all of that improvement has meant this, a record year for giving in 2020 in the middle of a pandemic. Amazing. Thanks be to God, working through his people. And your faithful generosity helped us give a sizable gift to five families at Trenton High School for Christmas this year, helped 12 foster children for Christmas through Bethany Christian Services. One of our member families helped another family of six anonymously, using me as their go-between. Another family that attends regularly did the same for yet another family that attends regularly, a family of six. Friends, this congregation has brought joy to the hearts of its leaders. It's given faithfully and in record fashion. But this has also been a year of revelation. Now when I say revelation, yeah, we spent the entire year studying the book of Revelation that we began in 2019, but I'm talking about things that a year of trial like this expose or reveal about us. Much of that, much of that, overwhelmingly so, has been good, as I've said. In fact, it's been the vast majority of things that have, that have been good. But it also makes known some things that we need to carefully consider changing. And that starts with me. I'm sure there are many areas to which I'm blind about myself, but at least one area that I should have done better this year and frankly in the years prior is explaining why it is that I have been hard on our president. And also, I should have been more deliberate about praying for him publicly more than I have. Now, let me explain as quickly as I can. Like many, I held my nose in 2016. I voted for Donald Trump because I can never vote for an alternative that is not pro-life. But I've been concerned about the testimony of people like us in the public square and have sought to dampen the promotion of an individual who does not live according to our values, lest it harm the most important thing, our credibility with the gospel. Now, why do I say that, does not live according to our values? Many people think that that stuff's just all in the past. Just, just one anecdote, you can Google this and look it up just to make sure your pastor's telling you the truth. But in August of 2017, as president, the president paid his personal attorney to reimburse him 
for money that the attorney paid to a porn star to keep her silent during the 2016 campaign. He wrote the check, you can see the image of the check, August of 2017. Now that's the deal. And I, as your pastor, am concerned about us getting too closely and publicly allied with that. It was never partisan, and for me it was a good pastoral purpose, but I've learned that I was not clear in my intentions, and so it came off as just being anti-Trump. So to avoid that, I should have explained better why I was saying what I was, and I should have prayed for him in front of you publicly, in part to offset that perception. If I had it to do over, I would do both of those things, all the while still warning as I have. It just means this, friends. I have to learn to do better, and I have no problem acknowledging and admitting that. It's not only true if you're going to grow in leadership, but if you're going to grow in the Christian life. And I think this year has revealed many things about us that need to be evaluated. Conspiracies have abounded, revealing a need for discernment and wisdom. Claims have been made and represented as truth that have not been proven. As I said earlier, the book of Proverbs says, fools find no pleasure in understanding, delight in airing their own opinions. Social media has revealed a level of anger and hostility born of idolatry toward politics and maintaining our own status quo. The book of Proverbs says this, whoever is patient is somebody of great understanding. Let me just stop here and say, if you ever want to see somebody who's patient and knows how to communicate in keeping with representing the Lord and the gospel message, I'm going to embarrass Pastor Larry. But just go look at Pastor Larry's social media account. I don't have one. But I enjoy reading his. And if he gets into arguments with people, I like having him do it instead of me. But Larry does a marvelous job of being this very thing, understanding because he's patient. And here's what that verse goes on to say. Whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays foolishness, displays folly. Now, friends, if you've seen that in yourself, if you've seen that in others that you're around, evaluate that. This is a time for us to do that. We're going to start a series in the book of Proverbs next week, Living Wisely, in a foolish world. Over the next few months, the pandemic's going to get worse before it gets better. But I thank God for science and the development of a solution. But beware that those who have pushed misinformation about an election and a pandemic have also already started to push it regarding the vaccine as well. So we've got our discernment task cut out for us over the next few months. 98% of us have handled things very well Let's continue to do so into the new year, but there will be challenges, especially in the first few months. But overall, it's gone extremely well, and yet I have no illusions that we all agree on how the church should have handled things, and disagreement's perfectly fine. But if there's widespread disagreement, we've not heard it, meaning that our people have kept their disagreements to themselves. There are always a few who feel they need to go public and share their wisdom with everyone, but the fact that those are vanishingly few, speaks extremely well to the maturity of this church. 
At the beginning of a new year, we need to be reminded of what we're about, where we've been, where we are, and importantly and lastly and as quickly as I can, where we're going. In the short term, we're headed for more virus stuff. But all the while, the vaccine is being distributed. I intend to get it as soon as it's available to me, not because I'm personally worried about dying of COVID. I'm not. I'm concerned about, for the sake of others, my family, my church family, but not for myself. So I want to do it for others, including contributing to the herd immunity that will eventually protect us all, especially the most vulnerable. We will get back to a semblance of normalcy, at least, once the vaccine's widely available and all who want it, presumably, protect themselves. We missed Easter last year. Easter is April 4th, this coming year. We may not be back to normal by then, but I could see a robust service at that time, possibly, Lord willing. But if we're not able to do the full, everybody's back, the auditorium's full or mostly full, then we'll have an Easter service on April 4th either way. And then we'll probably have another one. We'll pick our own Easter date. We'll have another one when everybody's back. Who says you can't celebrate the resurrection twice in a year? In 2021, we'll pursue the plans that the pastoral team discussed at that retreat toward the beginning of the year. I don't have the time to go over those initiatives now, but we will in the coming months. But suffice it to say, they're all designed to move the gospel forward in those categories of evangelism and edification. And that will in turn help us achieve the goals in our church's 10-year plan. It has seven years to go in the plan. Now I'm going to send that to everybody that's on our email list that we made it available, we make it available every year. So this week I'll send it to everybody on our email list. If you would like a copy and you're not on our email list, CBC Connect to 97,000. We're well positioned to move forward. Let's get through the pandemic together in the next few months. And then look forward to being back together. Celebrating Easter. Celebrating communion. We have a lineup of people who are looking to get baptized. And pursuing the Great Commission as partners in the gospel. Here's your take-home truth. Our gospel mission shapes all that we do. Let's bow together. Father, again, we thank you for this past year with all of its challenges. And thank you, Lord, for overseeing your work through your people and the work that you're doing in your people. I thank you, Lord, that I'm able to make this report of the state of your church as strong because of you. Lord, there are going to be challenges going into the next year. You have equipped your people to face them. Help us to do that. And Lord, we so look forward to being able then to put the plans that you, we believe you have allowed us to make into place and bring them to fruition. May 2021 be another year of individual growth, of congregational growth, of representing you in a way that befits you, of seeing people come to you, follow you in baptism, commit to growing in you, and help us as a church to be with them every step of that way as we make disciples. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus.
Amen. Let's stand together for our closing song.